0: I don't know, in your car, when you're uh, running out of petrol, what happens? I would imagine a light comes on, maybe an orange light or a red light. Maybe there's a beeper or a buzzer or an alarm goes off. I, a couple of cars ago, had a Renault Megane. And it has the loudest noise ever. When you, I mean, I nearly used to crash the car when the empty thing came on. It scared the daylights out of me. And then I, I sort of have developed this thing that, well, I, here's what I figured out. That even after you get to empty or even when the little speedometer, milometer thing says you have zero miles left, how many of you know you can keep driving for a while? Yeah, so I used to do this game with Becky. It was how let's see how far we can drive before we run out of petrol. Okay, she loved it. I mean, she she's she is blessed among women. Um, and uh, but we I I discovered uh, we were driving to Cork one day. I remember I, I was preaching in Cork, and it wasn't that I was just playing the game. We actually couldn't find a petrol station anywhere in the whole of the Republic of Ireland, and uh, we must have drove on empty for about forty forty five minutes, and then eventually, but. No matter how far you can drive on empty, there comes a point when you run out. No matter how many miles you can get, if you don't refuel at some stage, you're going to stop. And that's what we're going to be thinking about today, about running on empty. Because some of us, if not many of us, I believe at the minute are running on empty in our lives. (laughs) This is, uh, to say this has been an unusual year is like the understatement of the millennium, isn't it? It, it? It's just such a bizarre year. And here's what I've found, that even though some of you have had more time, some of you were maybe on furlough, some of you have been at home more, you're more tired than you've ever been. You're exhausted, you're weary. Some of you didn't need an extra hour in bed this morning. You needed an extra three weeks in bed this morning because you're just like I am tired I am weary I have nothing left to give my tank is empty and so what I want to do today is talk about running an empty and what I want us to think about it is how we recognize we're running on empty and how we actually then come out of that because God's will for us is that he would fill us with life abundant but life abundant does not look like emptiness and so God wants us to be people who are filled and refreshed and refueled and we're going to look at someone who was running on empty And we're going to look at a character called Elijah in the Old Testament. Uh, 1 Kings 19... Elijah was um, a prophet 900 years before Jesus. And at this time, Israel had been on this steep decline, morally, spiritually. They had allowed idols to come into their midst. They had allowed immorality to come into their midst. And there had been six kings in 52 years, and each of them was uh, a bunch. There were a bunch of royal rogues. And then the seventh king, the next one, was a guy called Ahab. And if possible, he was worse than the previous six. And so... With, with ungodly leadership, the people got more and more ungodly. But the problem wasn't even so much with Ahab. It was his wife, a lovely woman named Jezebel. Some of you will have heard of her. Jezebel was a pagan queen who came and married the, the king of Israel. So he should have been the one worshipping the one true God. But she kind of took control. She wore the trousers. She made the decisions. She was in charge. The last time uh, Ahab actually made a decision, it was on the day he said, I do. After that, uh, Jezebel made all the decisions and she was a fanatical worshipper of this pagan god called Baal and the female deity called Asherah. She was a ruthless woman. She found all of God's prophets or what she thought were all of God's prophets and she had them slaughtered to death because she wanted to eradicate the worship of Yahweh, the worship of the one true God from all the earth. Man, not the sort of girl you want to bring home for Sunday lunch, okay? Mom, Dad, here's my new girlfriend. What's her name? Jezebel. Get her out of here, okay? Some of you have had girls come home like that, and you're like, don't marry that one son, okay? But uh, she was not a nice person at all. And into the midst of this came Elijah, whose name means my God is the true God, or Yahweh is the true God. And he became God's spokesman. And in the midst of all the upheaval and in the midst of all the ungodliness, he kept pointing them back to Yahweh. But they wouldn't turn. Their hearts were far from God. And so he pronounced that there would be a drought in the land, and for three years it didn't rain. There was a dead girl, and he brought her back to life. There was a, then in First Kings 18, we get to the, the Old Testament equivalent of the OK Corral on Mount Carmel where he challenges 450 false prophets to a, I don't know, like a, let's see who's a God off, okay? Whose God is the real God? And he got them to build uh, an altar and he built an altar and he said, what we're going to do to prove whose God is the real God, we're both going to call fire down from heaven. And the one who's, who answers, the one who responds, that's the real God. So he says, guys, tell you what, you go first. And these 450 prophets of Baal, they build the altar and they're calling down and they're screaming and they're shouting and they're cutting themselves and nothing is happening. And, and, and Elijah gets a little bit overconfident and quite cocky. He's a bit like the Conor McGregor prophet of the Old Testament. And uh, he, he actually starts mocking them. In the Hebrew, he says, what has your God gone to the loo? Maybe that's why there's no fire coming down from heaven. And uh, nothing happens to their altar. And then Elijah simply, he actually, he gets so cocky, he pours water over his. You know, he, he pours buckets of water over his. He calls fire down. Fire comes down from heaven and it shows that Yahweh, Jehovah, is the true God. And he has all the other ones slaughtered. All of the 450 prophets of Baal slaughtered. There is a memory verse to teach your kids. When you get home today, he slaughtered 450 false prophets. But he is the man. He is a superhero. He is the guy who is the miracle worker. He is the one who stands for God in a pagan generation. You see... And I love that story, and I love reading stories like that, but I read stories like that, and I go, right, how does that connect to me in 2020 in Craig Oven? See, in James 5, it says this, Elijah was a man or a person just like us. <laughs> I go, really? I mean, he called down fire from heaven. I can't figure out how to work our microwave at home. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I just, what do you, I, 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 you know, like he, he, he raised a dead woman to life. I get a toothache and the world is ending. Like I am not like Elijah. When I look at Elijah, I feel how can he be a man just like me? He is a superhero. I'm Clark Kent. He is Superman. I cannot connect to him at all. But what I love about the Bible is this. It doesn't airbrush the characters. You see, it shows us their highs, but it also shows us their lows. That's one of the ways I know the Bible is actually true. If I was writing the Bible, I would leave a lot of it out. The bits that paint people in the, you know, the less good light. I would show all their victories, but I wouldn't show their failures. I would show their successes, but not where they stumble. But what I love about God and what I love about the Scriptures is that he presents people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, He presents their successes and their failures, their flaws and their faults. He he shows you the warts and all. And and I'm I'm glad for that because if I could only see their successes, I would look at it and I would go, God could never ever use somebody like me because I know what I'm like. But I'm so glad that God delights to take broken, damaged, messed up people. And he uses them. Why? Because one, they're all he's got. He doesn't have anyone else. And two, the glory goes to him. When God does something great through somebody who's a nobody, people go, that could not have been them. It has to be him. And God delights to take people who are less than perfect, people who are messed up. And we're going to see today that Elijah might have been a wonderful, powerful man of God and a mighty man of miracles, but he was just a man. And even the best of men are still just men. Even the strongest people struggle. Look at nineteen verse two, so here 's what happens: Jezebel finds out about what has happened. Ahab uh, goes and tells her about what has happened to all his false prophets that they 've all been slaughtered uh, and uh, i 'm a false prophet, get me out of here at the, at mount Horeb and, and and he goes and tells jezebel and and you would assume that Jezebel should be afraid, but she 's not she 's brazen she 's bold, and so look at what she says in verse two: May the gods deal with me ever, be it ever so severely. She sends this message to Elijah, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, what she says is, Elijah, by this time tomorrow I swear in my life you're a dead man. <laughs> who does she think she's talking to This is Elijah. This is the man of God. This is the far. This is the, you know, this is the guy who, who has just slaughtered 450 prophets. I mean, like, who does she think she is? Watch what Elijah does to her. Verse three: Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Not what you expect her. Not what you expect at all. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life from one woman. Now, there's some scary women out there, but do you know what I mean? There's, like, there's some scary women out there. Um, there's some scary men out there as well, so I'm not seen as being sexist, but there are some scary women out there. But you would think, this, is, this cannot be the same Elijah that we have just encountered in the previous chapters, and yet it is exactly the same Elijah. What has happened? Elijah's just crashed and burned Elijah is empty and exhausted. Elijah has nothing more to give. He's worn out. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He's disappointed. He's flatlined. He's just had enough. And he reaches the point where he just says, I am empty and I have nothing more to give. Why? Because even the strongest struggle. Five years ago, almost exactly... I found myself pretty much exactly this time five years ago at five o'clock in the evening uh, sitting in a doctor's surgery waiting room wondering what was wrong with me. And I didn't know, I I honestly didn't know what was wrong with me, but I just knew I was tired. (laughs) And I just knew I'd been tired for a very, 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 very long time. But I was leading a thriving, growing church On the surface, I was successful. On the surface, we looked like we had it all together. But you know what? Sometimes those who look like they have it all together are falling apart. But they're falling apart on the inside. But on the outside, they've got to keep it together because there's people depending on them. There's people who need them. And for years, I had been pouring out my life. We'd been pouring out our lives. We'd been opening our home. We'd been ministering to people constantly. We'd seen hundreds of people come to faith. We'd, we'd seen it all, but in the midst of it, it had taken toll on me. You see, very often when you hit rock bottom, it's not because of a failure. It can be because of success. <laughs> it, it's not necessarily because you've done something wrong. It could be actually you've been doing everything right, but you just haven't been taking care of yourself. And that's where I found myself five years ago, where I've been given and given and given and given and I hadn't been refueling, and I found myself empty. I found myself in the place where Elijah finds himself here. I was empty, I was exhausted, I was like a shell, and I felt like I had nothing more to give. So Elijah runs, and eventually we read in verses 8 and 9, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave, and he spent the night. So he's gone from Mount Carmel to the cave, He's gone from the place of of public exaltation to the place where he is just in complete isolation. He's hiding in a dark place. He's in a dark place physically and in a dark place emotionally, mentally and spiritually. He has nothing to give. And when I studied this passage the first time I thought, you know what Elijah, do you think you're overreacting a wee bit? Like all this fuss over a woman, all this fuss over one threat from one woman, like you don't think you're just over-dramatizing it a bit? Why did this have such an impact on Elijah? You see, the, the Jezebel incident wasn't what caused Elijah to crash. It was everything that had happened in the previous two to three years. And this was just the straw that broke the camel's. And that's what I've found, and maybe you've found that in, in, with friends, with family, maybe with yourself, is that very often the, the the thing that happens isn't the issue. The issue isn't the issue. So somebody will explode. Somebody will, you know, you'll make a small comment to somebody that they would normally have laughed at, and they completely explode at. You ever had that happen? You're like, what is wrong? Or, or, or somebody completely overreacts, and you're like, that was just total. But it's not that. It's the 43 negative comments that they've already had that week. It's the pressure that they've been encountering. It's the battles that they've been fighting. It's the stuff that's been going on that you haven't seen. It's, if I said to you, how heavy is this bottle to hold you? would say it's not very heavy. And it's not. But if I said, right, hold it like this for an hour. Hold it like this for six hours. Hold it like this for 24 hours. Eventually your arm would become numb and paralysed. And sometimes it's not the weight that you're carrying. It's just how long you're carrying it. (laughs) You see, sometimes you look at people and you go, goodness, they don't have much to worry about. Their problems are tiny compared to mine. But you've been carrying your problem for 24 hours and they've been carrying their little problem for three years and it has just worn them down. And sometimes it's not the big disasters that bring us down. It's the little disappointments one after the other one after the other, one after the other. And this has been a year of both for people, hasn't it? It's been a year of the big disasters in many ways, and it's been a year of the wee disappointments. The big disasters has been death. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you are struggling in your business. Some of you have lost jobs. There have been the big disasters, and when those people rally around, and they should be sympathetic, and they love you, and they provide for you, and they care for you. But then there's the little disappointments, they're not going, getting to see your elderly parents in a nursing home for two months. They're not getting a holiday, which seems like a small thing, doesn't it? Like we, <laughs> we had a holiday at a Lanzarote booked for next week and we cancelled it a few weeks ago. And the Canaries came back on this week again that you were allowed to go. Thank you for the 43 text messages I got. Saying, you can go to the Canaries. We've already cancelled it. We're going to Port Stewart instead now, which is just the same, isn't it? Just the same. Costa del Port. At least we'll be able to go to coffee shops and restaurants. <laughs> There's always a bright side, eh? But sometimes it's just the wee disappointments, isn't it? I mean, that's a real first world problem right there, isn't it? Compared to, But, something, you know, that's the thing, actually, is that But sometimes it's just the wee disappointments. <laughs> Yes, Lord. I always knew that God would sound a bit like me. If you're watching online, you may not have heard that. We just got to play back of either. We just got to play back of either. We just got to play back of either. Oh, dear. Sometimes it's the wee disappointments, and sometimes it's the wee things that just bring you joy like that. But those warning lights come on. If you've lived with disappointment, if you've lived with struggle long enough, those warning lights come on. If you live a weariness long enough, those warning lights come on. You see, it says Elijah was running for his life in verse 2 or verse 3. I don't think he was running for his life so much as he was running from his life. He was just running from his life. He had had enough. Those warning lights had been flashing for about 2 years, 3 years, and he had ignored them. What are those for you? What are those little warning lights on the dashboard of your life that come on and tell you that you're Running and empty. I'll tell you what some of them are. They're different for all of us, but I'll tell you what some of them are for me. When things irritate me easily, some of you are like, that's just my husband all the time. Um, when I find myself being sharp and snappy with people. When things I normally do with ease feel like a huge burden. When I feel completely overwhelmed by the things I have to do, even though it's manageable. I look at my to-do list and I, go, I just feel completely overwhelmed. When I begin to feel sorry for myself and throw pity parties regularly, thinking nobody ever has it as bad as I have. When I could cry for no reason. When people's real needs just become another problem to add to my list. When I find no joy in the things that normally bring me joy. When I find no joy in my family. When I find no joy in my son, when I find no joy in ministry, when there's just a a real absence of joy, I know I'm running empty. When I feel like I just want to run away and leave all my problems behind. When you just go, I just want to run away. I don't want to do this anymore. That's exactly where Elijah found himself. That's where I found myself five years ago. And I wonder does that sound familiar to any of you this morning? what are the warning lights for you? It's good for you to know what they are because once you recognize what they are, you can actually start to refuel once you start to run on empty. But what I want to do now for the rest of our time is I want to look at the symptoms of Elijah's burnout and then the remedy for it, okay? And I'm going to skim, like I said, this is kind of a skim over it because we'd be here all day. I, I want us to finish on time, but I want us to look at what are the symptoms of burnout, and then how does he come out of it to the other side? And maybe you're there right now. Maybe you have been there. Or maybe you will be there. Or maybe you're the spouse of somebody who's there. I think this is going to be helpful for you. This is going to be, I think, one of those messages that in six months or a year you'll go, Craig, what was that talk you did on Elijah? And, and you'll find it helpful maybe then, if not now. But uh, what were the symptoms of Elijah's burnout? The first one was this, irrational thinking. Irrational thinking. Verse 3 says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. We've already mentioned this. Like, It seems like an overreaction. He has just had 450 prophets slaughtered. And one threat from a woman, albeit a nasty woman, is enough to send him into a downward spiral. The reality is it was just a threat. She actually didn't do anything. If she'd really been serious, she wouldn't have sent a messenger. She'd have sent an assassin. But sometimes that's all it takes. It's just words, isn't it? Sometimes we don't need anyone to do anything to us. We just need them to say the right words, to push our buttons. And Elijah here, just the words from Jezebel are enough to send him sinking. Because when you're exhausted, when you're empty, you don't think rationally any longer things that would normally be really small get blown out of all proportion. You lose all perspective on things and you completely overreact to things and you don't see things as they are, you see them as you are. And that's what's happening on Elijah here. This, a year before this, six months before this, this would not have bothered Elijah at all. But when you hit that rock bottom place, you don't think rationally. You think irrationally. Second thing is this. Isolation. Look at verses 3 and 4. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He leaves his servant. He leaves the one person he has with him and he goes off on his own. I think this is a tendency particularly for us men. I think if Elijah was called Emma, she would have had all her friends around that had a coffee and she'd have talked it out. But because he's called Elijah, he, he... He locks it all in. He he bottles it all up. He he, he doesn't, because he's the big strong guy. And us big strong guys, we don't admit our weaknesses. You know, very often, one of the things that people who who would battle depression would say that they get up in the morning, they wake up in the morning, and and they just want to pull the covers over their head. They just don't want to get out of bed and if they do get out of bed all day they're thinking about when can I get back to bed just to pull the covers. I don't want to face the world. I don't want to face people. I I just, I'm so self conscious I feel horrible about myself. I think they're all talking about me and I just don't want to be. One of the first signs of of that exhaustion is that you isolate yourself from people who are actually meant to bring life to you. Number three I said it, will go up, I promise you. Um hopelessness he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and he prayed that he might die i've had enough lord he said take my life i'm no better than my ancestors he's just despairing at this point he's just thinking what's the point he actually says i just want to die if this is how life is going to be because he can't imagine life is now going to change. He had such a rock bottom place that he just thinks this is just how my life is going to be. And if this is how life is going to be, I'm not sure I want to live it anymore. Would anybody really care? Would anybody really miss me? Sure, is really my life that important anyway? That's where he's at here. Number four. Physical exhaustion and loss of appetite. Then he sat down under a bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. All Elijah wants to do is sleep. So much so that for him to eat, the angel has to come along twice and hit him a nudge, wake him up and give him some freshly baked bread. When you are when you're when when you, all you want to do is sleep, and when your appetite changes, very often that's a sign that you're running and empty. For some of you it will be you'll lose your appetite, for some of you it will be the opposite. We don't call it comfort eating for nothing. You eat everything in the fridge because you're just trying to, to fill that emptiness with food. And Elijah here in his rock bottom state, he's not eating and he just wants to sleep. He's physically exhausted. So that's where we find Elijah, he's empty, he's drained, he's exhausted. And like I say, I have no doubt that this is where some of you are right now and it's where some of you have been, some of you who are able to identify with this, and it's where some of you might be. And some of you at the point, are at the point where you're just... If one more comment from that snarky boss at work. One more fight at home. One more argument with your child. One more one more blow up with your wife one you know it's just you just are like i just i'm not sure how much more i can take that's going to push me over the edge so how do we deal with it that's where i want to finish today how do we deal with it if that's where you are if you're at the edge how do you deal with it the first thing is this take care of your physical needs look at verses eight and nine so elijah got up he ate and he drank Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The first things Elijah did were not have a prayer meeting or a Christian concert. He had food and rest. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep and take care of your physical health. Some times people come to me with what they think is a spiritual problem and it's actually just a physical problem they're not taking care of and i could pray over them and shabba do over them all day long and they go out just you know they come in and sing just as i am and leave just as they were because it's not the problem the problem is they just need to look after their sleep and their health and their diet a little bit more when i was my end of my first year at theological college when i was training for the ministry i was a postman for the summer in Belfast, there's nothing like delivering post to 526 houses in Togmuna Estate to get your juices going in the morning, and um, and uh, and that's what I did. And, and 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 you know, I actually I loved it. I have to be honest. I always say if I wasn't doing this, I'd, I'd want to be a postman. Uh, you're just delivering messages anyway. And uh, and I actually did. I loved it. Apart from, I found myself in August that summer starting to get a bit low and a bit depressed, and I couldn't understand it because. Actually, life was good and I was enjoying life. But then I realized I was getting up at 5am, six mornings a week. But I was going to bed at midnight or one o'clock. And uh, yeah, some of you are brighter than I am. I wasn't just burning the candle at both ends. I was burning it in the middle as well. And and what I didn't need was a prayer meeting. What I needed was just to go start to go to bed earlier. And that's what I did. And within two or three weeks, I felt better again. Some of us just need to take better care of ourselves physically. For that, For you, that might be just getting a walk. It might be getting a break, a night away. Sometimes a night away can feel like a holiday if you unwind and relax, right? Some of you just need to get a bit of space. Some of you need to find ways just to build into your schedule some personal time. Some of you men need to find a cave to go and hide in. And some of you ladies will find that cave and give him a list of things to do. (laughs) Sorry, stick to the script, Cooney. (laughs) Number two, connect with other people. Connect with other people. Verses 15 to 18. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from that place to succeed you as prophet. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. See, Elijah thinks he's all alone. Elijah thinks he's the only one standing for God. Twice he actually says that, I'm the only one left. And God says, actually, you know what? You're not. You're not. I've preserved 7,000 just like you because God always preserves a remnant. But he also says, I want you to go find Elisha and I want you to go and find these two guys and anoint them king. In other words, there's other people out there who can strengthen you. There are other people out there who can speak life into you. There are other people out there who are like you and who can sustain you. When we get to that place where we feel empty, the temptation is to stop coming to church. It's to stop doing the things where we're around other people. And while there's possibly at times a place for that, I think most of the time that's the worst thing you can do. I think for me the best thing I can do is to not allow my feelings to dictate my behaviour but to allow my behavior sometimes to dictate my feelings. And sometimes I need to just do the right thing, even if I don't feel like doing the right thing. See, we are a generation that thinks, you know what, if I feel like it, I'll do it. Sometimes when you do it, you'll feel like it. And there's Sundays I've come in here, and I've been feeling low, I've been feeling discouraged, I've been feeling like I'm struggling. But you know what, just as I listen to you worship, it lifts me. Sometimes I'll stand here and I'll not sing. I'll just listen to the saints' worship. And as I listen to you declaring the praise of our God, it stirs something within my soul and it breathes life into me. And sometimes, even if we don't feel like it, the thing we need to do is to get around God's people. We may not be jumping up and down. We may not have our hands in the air. But maybe we just need to sit and soak in the presence of God. Connect with other people. Sometimes you need to talk about it. That's the next thing. Number three, express your pain. Elijah runs for 40 days. He crawls into his cave and he thinks no one knows where he is. He's hiding, but God knows exactly where he is. Look at verse nine. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? You can hide from everybody, but you can't hide from God. He's the best stalker you will ever have and he comes into the cave and he says to Elijah what are you doing here and when God asks you a question it's not because God doesn't know the answer he's been a good counselor one of the names for God in the Bible is wonderful counselor and what does a good counselor do they ask questions why do they ask questions because they want you to talk and God says to Elijah what are you doing here Elijah and what he's really saying is, Elijah, I'm giving you permission to pour out your heart here. I'm giving you permission to speak. I'm giving you permission to, to offload all the stuff that's happened to you and why you're feeling this way. And Elijah does it. Elijah offloads. He tells him all the stuff that's been going on. And you know what I love? God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't say, cheer up, big lad. It's not that bad. Or, don't be such a wuss. Like, come on, you're an Elijah. God listens to him. And what I love about God is that God can take our praise, but he can also take our pain. I love that we serve a God who isn't just all about the praise, but in our pain, he enters into that too. And some of us filter our prayers, and some of us tone down. You know what? God already knows what's going on in your heart, and God wants you to be honest with him. And some of you actually just need to come to God and say, God, this is what's really going on in my life. I've tried to fool everybody else, but God, I'm going to be honest with you. This is how I'm feeling. I love that. I love that in the Psalms. David, David's one of my favorite people in the Bible. I love that one when David's like, God, there's nobody like you. You're my rock. You're my refuge. You're my strength. You're my shield. And then you get to the next Psalm and he's like, God, where are you? I'm in the pit of despair. How long, oh Lord? How long? And yet God still says, there's a man after my own. God can handle the praise, but God can also take the pain. God doesn't mind you pouring out what is really going on inside you. He can handle it. And finally in this bit, create time and space to connect with God. Look at verses 11 and 13. We're finishing up. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, And shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God comes and meets Elijah in the cave. God comes and meets Elijah in the dark place. God comes and meets Elijah in the depressed place. And I love the way God shows up here. It says there was an earthquake and there was the wind and there was the fire. And that's all the ways Elijah had ever experienced God. In the big, in the dramatic, in the exciting, in the loud. Elijah had experienced God in all those big dramatic ways. But this time he experiences them as a whisper. And you know what, I love loud worship and I love Christian, well, I kind of like Christian conferences for an hour. Um, and uh, I, mean, I love all the vibrancy and all the enthusiasm and all the volume. I love all that. But when I'm in the place where I'm empty, I don't really need that. I just need to get on my face or on my knees before God. And I need to be still. And i said those times, I go, God, I need to hear your voice. I need to hear your voice. And I love that God whispers. God doesn't shout in this passage, he whispers. And you know what, if I'm whispering to you, for you to hear me, there's two things have got to be true. You've got to be quiet, and you've got to be close. You've got to be quiet, and you've got to be close. And God comes down to Elijah And in the quietness of the cave, God comes up close and whispers in his ear and recommissions him and speaks purpose into his life and says to him, I haven't finished with you yet. See, when he says, go and anoint the kings of Israel, go and anoint Elisha, your successor, that's really what God is saying to him. You think you're finished? You think you're done? You think you have nothing left to give? I haven't finished with you yet and that's what God would want to say to some of you right now that you think you're empty, you think you're done, you think you're spent and God says I'm only just beginning I have not finished with you yet I have so much more for you and that's where I found myself in November October November 2015 I found myself empty, I found myself drained and burnt out and feeling like, God, I have nothing left to give. And I went to the doctor that day, and he was a wonderful doctor, and he said, Craig, you need a, a, you need a sabbatical. And I said, I know I do. And he said, will you get one? And I said, I'll try to get one in the summer. And then I came out of the doctor's, and I thought, well, how are we going to afford a sabbatical? And a few weeks later, a guy walked into church, an American guy who I'd only met twice in my entire life, And at the end of the service, he said, Craig, can I take you for lunch? And I said, I'd love to. And we went for lunch. And over lunch, he said, Craig, you're burnt out, aren't you? And I looked at him and I said, how did you know? He says, I've just been off work for a year with burnout. And he said, Craig, God spoke to me during that service today. And God said to me that I am to pay for your sabbatical. And that's what he did. That we were able to take a complete restful sabbatical and he completely covered all the costs. This guy I'd only met twice in my life. And here's my point. My point is that in your lowest place, God comes close, but he doesn't just come close. He provides what you need. He meets you where you are. And maybe what you need isn't money for a sabbatical. Maybe you just need people around you. Maybe you need purpose again. See, sometimes burnout isn't from doing too much. It's not doing enough of the thing that stirs your soul. Some of you need new purpose. Some of you are burnt out, not because you've been over busy, just because you're actually not doing anything that, that, that makes your soul come alive. And God wants to bring you provision. He wants to bring you people. And he wants to bring you purpose. But the first step for some of you right now is to get away from the busyness to get into your cave, whatever that is, to get on your knees, to get on your face before God, be honest with him, express how you're feeling, and then stay there and say, God, I need to hear your whisper. And I promise you, if you stay there, God will come close. God will speak. God will enter into that place. And God will refresh you and renew you. I am a testimony of that. Five years on, I never thought I'd be here. But God is able to take broken, empty things and heal them and fill them and repurpose them for his glory. And he can do the same to you.